Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're continuing series. Began a couple weeks ago. I'm looking at John 3.16. What does it really mean? And um, what we've done each week is... um, once again, read a very, very familiar passage of Scripture, probably the most famous passage in all of the Bible. So we're going to do it again this morning. Um, we're going to put it up on the screen. It's there on your outline, okay? I'd like you to read it again together with me. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, when I was in Sunday school, way, way, way back when, what we used to do is we had memory verses. And so the way that we learned memory verses is then we recited it together without the words on the blackboard, okay? So we're going to take the words away. We're going to let you not look at your outline. We're going to help you memorize this passage. So let's try it together. John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Each week we've been looking at this and a different phrase in that sentence because it's just, it, is a, it is a sentence that is packed with meaning. It is really, in one sentence, the whole gospel of John. And we've been looking at each one of these each week. God so loved the world. What does that mean? That he gave his one and only son. What does that mean? And this morning we're going to look at this one, that whoever believes in him. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? And it has to do with this whole concept of faith. How does faith work? So I want to start with a question this morning. How many believe that if we brought in a ton of metal and put it up on this stage, how many believe that I could make a ton of metal float in the air? Nobody? Okay, what if the ton of metal was a ton of aluminum? Would that make it any easier for you to believe? What if... How, okay, how many believe that I could take that ton of aluminum, maybe not make it float in midair, but I could lift it over my head? No takers. Okay, what if I used a pry bar? How many believe I could get it maybe an inch or two off the ground? Eh, a few more. Okay, what if I had the ability to take that ton of aluminum and fashion it in such a way that I could build a plane fuselage? And take that ton of aluminum and make wings and attach them to the fuselage in such a way that it made a viable plane. And put a motor on that thing. How many believe I could make that ton if I knew what I was doing? Okay, that's that's the caveat. But how many believe if I knew what I was doing and I could do such a thing that I could really make a ton of aluminum fly in the air? Okay, why? Why didn't you believe I could do it beforehand? Because it has to do with something that we all believe in called gravity. (laughs) But there's also another law that we also believe in. It's called the law of aerodynamics. That a ton of metal can hang in the air if it's done rightly. And these are things that we all believe. It's just we accept it. Now I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about belief. Because often when it comes to belief... We have two opposing, seemingly opposing and contradictory concepts or laws. And they don't seem to fit together. But they do. 
I use that illustration because a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine who has his private pilot's license asked me if I wanted to go flying with him. I said, sure. It was a beautiful day, gorgeous day. We went up, we flew up to Clear Lake for lunch. You know, just jet setter that I am, you know. <laughs> um, you know and, I've, and I've had a chance to fly with him a number of times before. But this time, as we're coming into the airport, you know, because he let me take the controls, he let me fly the plane for a little while. He said, hey, you do pretty good. He says, how would you like to land it? And I asked, can we do that? <laughs> he said, sure, sure, you could do this. Well, you know, hey, I've played Flight Simulator on my computer, you know. <laughs> How hard can it be? So sure enough, I took the controls, and he says, okay, yeah, you got to line up on the runway. So he has me line up on the runway. And it was kind of a, you know, a, a sharp right bank turn and come in, and we were coming in a little hot, and he's working to throttle, and, he's, and I see him. He's reaching over and taking his steering control, you know. And, and, it, and as we got close to landing, you know, just as we got there, I finally realized the contradiction between the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. All of a sudden, it was very, very clear to me. And I had a much better, greater, stronger belief in the law of gravity than I did in the law of aerodynamics. <laughs> we landed okay. We survived. And he said to me, any landing that you can walk away from is a success. So... It was a success. But it's that whole idea, because sometimes we have these realities that seem to be in conflict. And, and that's really where belief comes in. That's where faith comes in. How do you deal with that? What does it mean to truly believe? John's gospel is filled with examples and, and uh, parts of Jesus' ministry where belief became the factor. And we're going to look at one of them this morning because I think it really sheds light on this whole idea of what does it mean to believe. It's found in John chapter 5, if you want to follow along, beginning in verse 1. It talks about sometime later that Jesus went to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, And one who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. That day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. Now this is an example of belief. And it's really a good illustration about what it means to believe. How does faith happen? How does belief happen? How do you nurture belief? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. How does faith grow? Well, it starts with, belief begins with a desire. Belief begins with a desire for something more. And I think it's pretty safe to say that every step of faith ever taken starts with a desire for something more, something better than what it is right now. It's what makes us 
want to move forward in faith. Like a good friend of mine, Rob DeSimone, who actually heads up our, our recovery ministry, said a long time ago, he told me, he said, you know what, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. He got to a point where he decided, I don't want to live this way anymore. This is not working. And that began the process of recovery in his life. And that's really what every step of faith starts with, a desire for something more, something better. And that's what Jesus is bringing to issue and into focus right here when he asks him the question. And did you catch it? This guy's been laying here for 38 years, looking, longing for a healing. And Jesus comes to him and he asks him the question, do you want to get well? What kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? That is a dumb question. That is a stupid question. What do you think? Why do you think I'm laying here by this pool? What do you think I'm doing here? Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? That seems like a really stupid question. In fact, it seems like a heartless question. How can you ask somebody who has been ill for 38 years, do you want to get better? But Jesus is bringing the focus in, right in on what the real issue is. See, that's an important question. That is a really important question because it's the question that makes us examine ourselves. Do you really want to get better? A form of that question I have asked numerous times in counseling situations. As I sit and listen to people who pour out their hearts and talk about their struggles and talk about the things that are hurting them and, 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 and the things that have been done to them and over and over again. And finally, after like a few sessions, I finally say, well, what do you want? Do you want to get better? Because we can keep meeting and you can keep spilling your guts, but nothing's going to change unless you want to get better. It is a very, very important question. You see, for this man, this is the only life that he's known. The only life that he has known has been sitting by this pool, waiting for an opportunity to get healed. In fact, we're told he had been an invalid for 38 years. In fact, we're told that's the reason Jesus picked him out. 38 years. This is the only life that he has known. When Jesus asks him the question, he says, are you prepared for a new life? Because you know what healing's going to mean for this guy? It means he's going to have to go out and get a job. He's going to have to take responsibility for his own life now. For 38 years, He's relied on friends to bring him and set him down here by this pool and wait for an opportunity for healing. That's all he knows. There are tremendous ramifications for his answer to this question. Healing for him was going to be a whole different life. And Jesus is asking him, is that what you want? See, I think sometimes we talk about belief and we, and we share about belief and faith with other people. And we even think about belief in our own minds in very narrow terms. We think about belief as just my ticket into heaven. Or my chance to avoid hell. And very often when we share the gospel and we share about God's saving faith. And when we talk about belief, we just talk about it in terms of not going to hell and instead going to heaven. And we think that that's all that John 3.16 is all about. We think that's what John 3.16 means. Yeah, should not perish, but have everlasting life. But it is far deeper than that. It has far, far more reaching implications. 
Because it really has to do with life. And that's what Jesus offered. In fact, John 10.10 records these words of Jesus. I have come so everyone could have life and have it in its fullest. That's what Jesus offered. Jesus was not just offering this man healing. He was offering him a new life. And when we think of faith and we think of belief only in terms of avoiding hell and getting into heaven, we have missed the point. And for years, I think, in churches, we have put such an emphasis there that we have put a lot of emphasis on eternity and we haven't talked about life here and now. And by the way, that's why no amount of hellfire and brimstone preaching and no amount of guilt and manipulation really brings lasting change. Because belief is about life. And lasting change happens when you understand that. And what Jesus was constantly wanting people to see was life. That there was something different from what you've got. In fact, he told stories about this. He told stories about a pearl merchant who found a pearl that he was willing to sell everything else he had to get this one pearl. He told another story talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's like treasure hidden in a field. That when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. This was an opportunity that was too good to pass up. And Jesus said, that's what life in the kingdom is like. This is the life that I'm bringing to you. That anything else you have right here and now does not compare with it. He said, this life is so tremendous, so huge, so great that you would sell everything that you have to get in on it. Not as a drudgery. You, we think about this as a sacrifice. This guy goes and sells everything he has so he can buy this one field. But it says he does it in his joy because he understands this is a deal you can't pass up. And it means to believe that I begin to have a desire for something more. That whatever I have in this life, there is something more. And it is something better. And it is something that's worth giving everything else up to get. It starts with a desire for something more. Which leads to the second part of belief. It's recognizing that Jesus offers a better alternative. That what Jesus offers really is the something more that we want. This man may want healing, but he doesn't see how it can possibly happen. When he's asked, do you want to be, get well? He says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, understand what was going on here. In this pool, there was a belief that when the waters stirred, that that meant that the angels had stirred the waters. And the first person who could get into the pool after the water was stirred, it was believed that they would be healed. In fact, some of your Bibles might have that as a footnote. It's, it's actually verse 4. Some of you have them right in the translation. Some of you have it maybe as a footnote where it adds, From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured from whatever disease he had. That was the common belief. Now, whether that was just superstition or whether actual healings really happened, we don't know. We don't have any record of that. But the point is this, that this man is laying by the pool because he sees this is my last and only hope. That's why he's there. It's the only option he can see. And that's why for 38 years he's been coming back. Year after year after year, day after day, month after month, 38 years. Now, if Jesus was Dr. Phil... He would say something like, and how's that working for you? 
but he wasn't. This is the only option this guy's got. And it's a hopeless situation. Because he says, every time the water's stirred, I can't get down it because someone else gets in in front of me. It's the only option he has, and it's not working. And there's a sense of hopelessness and despair and resignation like it's never going to change. Even his friends have given up on him. That's what he says. There's no one here even to help me into the pool if the waters are stirred. Even his friends have given up on him. And even a little bit of maybe victimization. These other people get in the way. But the point is, this is his last and only option, and it's not working. And Jesus comes along with another option, an alternative this man has never heard before, and it's simply this. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, for a split second, what is this man thinking? He's weighing his options. Well, 38 years of laying by the pool, that's not making it. (laughs) Here's an alternative. Maybe this Jesus can be trusted. You see, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Every miracle that Jesus performed, he did with meaning and with purpose. He didn't do this stuff capriciously. He didn't just do it kind of when he was in the mood. Every time he performed a miracle, he did it with purpose and with meaning. And in fact, in John's gospel, John only records seven miracles of Jesus. Only seven. And he uses a different word than all the other um, gospels use. He uses a word sign instead of miracle because he wants to understand, he wants us to understand there was a point to what Jesus was doing here. Because sign carries with it emphasis and meaning and purpose. This wasn't just a capricious thing. Jesus did this for a reason. The greater purpose for all of Jesus' miracles was life. That's what Jesus came to do, to bring life. Not just quantity, eternal life, as in it's going to last forever, but quality of life, real life, life in its fullness, he said. Jesus came to bring us this life. In fact, John says in the very first chapter of his book, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. One and only. It's the very same phraseology that's in John 3, 16. His one and only son. He came to make God known. God really wants you to know him. And all of these miracles that Jesus performed was to help us understand he wants us to know him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to live this life that he intended it to be. John 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus, this is the end of John's gospel. He writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, said these miracles of Jesus were glimpses. They were glimpses of of how life was meant to be before the fall. And glimpses of that restored life on how it's going to be someday. And these few little miracles that Jesus performed along the way were all glimpses, were all kind of insights into what God had in mind. That God wants you and me to know him. That he wants us to live this life. 
And the way that we do that is through belief. And the belief simply comes to this. Do I trust what Jesus offers is better? Do I really believe that what Jesus has to offer me, this life that he talks about, is it better? And when it comes to that, we kind of believe on a lot of different levels. Okay? We believe on the level of the things that we say we believe. Okay? You know this level. We may not care. We may not mean it. We may not really believe it. But we say we do. Okay? It's kind of a a couple of weeks ago, you may have read about um, a teacher at CSU East Bay got fired because she had to sign a loyalty oath. And in the loyalty oath as a teacher in the California University District, California State University District, you have to sign this loyalty oath that says you will protect and defend the Constitution. And she inserted one one word, that I will defend and protect the Constitution of the United States nonviolently. I said, you can't do that. You have to sign it as it is. And because she wouldn't sign it as it was, she got fired. Now, most people would say, just sign the stupid paper. Nobody's going to hold you to this. Nobody's going to make you go do it. You know, it's it's just a formality. Just say you believe it. And for a lot of us, there are a lot of things we say we believe. We don't really believe it. We just say we do. On a deeper level, there are things that we really think we believe. And these are really sincere. We really think we believe this. It's not just what we say. We really do feel inside, deep inside, we believe these things. It's kind of like, with all sincerity, I believe in obeying traffic laws. I do. I believe everybody ought to obey traffic laws. That's what I think I believe. What I really believe is that everybody ought to obey, that I ought to obey traffic laws when the police are present. (laughs) That's what I really believe. See, there is very often a difference between what we say we believe and what we think we believe and what we truly believe. And how you know what you truly believe is how do you live? How do you act? How do you behave? Because that is what you truly believe. We call these things core beliefs. They are the values and convictions by which I live my life. And they are very often revealed in my actions and in my behavior. So when it comes to Jesus and he comes along and says, here's the life that I have for you, and I am faced with the choice between the way God says things ought to be and the way that I want to do them, and I'm faced with that choice, what I choose at that moment determines what I really believe. And I might have to say, I think I believe this, but I really want to do it this way. And that is the moment of belief and choice. Will I choose what Jesus says is the way life ought to be? Because I really believe it. Because, you see, that's the level of belief that Jesus is really interested in. He's not interested in what we say we believe. He's not interested in what we think we believe. He is interested in what we really believe. That's belief on the third level, on the deepest level. It's the way that we live our lives. And when he says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, he is talking about that level of belief. How I live my life. And that comes about when I choose to act on the belief 
that Jesus offers a better alternative. It's how I act. My actions and my behaviors, those are the things that reveal my core convictions. And for this man, for whatever reason, for whatever doubts, whatever questions he might have had, the one thing you got to say is he believed. Because it says that once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. He acted on what he believed. Now, he may not have been 100% sure about it. He may, not have, may have had all kinds of questions about what Jesus was telling him. But he believed enough to act on it. And that's the point. Our convictions... Our convictions, when we talk about our core beliefs, we are talking about belief about the way things really are. It's what we really believe. That's why when it comes to things like gravity, you don't have to work really hard at obeying the law of gravity. <laughs> you just do. Why? You, know, you don't walk around going, I, I, I don't want to fall up, you know? Because <laughs> that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because there is this law of gravity. And it's just the way things are. And we believe it. So we live. I don't have to work at obeying the law of gravity. And 90% of the time, I don't have to work at obeying the law of aerodynamics. I just get on a plane and it flies. And I don't know why. And I don't really know how. I know it has something to do with lift plus thrust over drag. I don't know what weight. I, I don't know how it works. I can't even recite it for you. I just know I get on a plane. It takes off and it flies in the air and it gets me there a lot faster than if I drove in my car, which I very much prefer. <laughs> now, sometimes I encounter turbulence and I have some doubts about the law of aerodynamics. But the truth is, I just accept it because it's the way things are. When it comes to this life that Jesus offers us, that's what it comes down to. Do I believe that what Jesus said about the way things are really is the way things are? Do I believe it enough to act on it? How do you develop that kind of conviction? How do you develop that level of belief? Well, Jesus' invitation makes it clear. The only thing that he said over and over again was, follow me. Matthew 4, 19. Jesus finds some fishermen, and he says to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. I'll teach you how to fish for stuff that really matters. He found Philip, John 1, 43, and said to him simply, come, follow me. That was the invitation that Jesus, Jesus had no set gospel presentation. If there's anything that is close to that, it is so, simply those two words. Follow me. Just follow me. He said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, that's what it's all about. It is about following Jesus. And that's why we refer to who we are around here so much as Christ followers, because that's really what we are. We don't have all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. We've got our doubts. We've got our questions. We've got our struggles. We've got all kinds of other stuff going on. But here's one thing we did decide. We're going to follow. And that's what the disciples did. They followed. Jesus' invitation was simply, follow me. Now, here's the deal. We have all grown up and had ingrained in us a certain belief system. 
And that belief system goes something along the lines of, look out for number one. Me first. No such thing as a free lunch. Earn your way, pay your way, make your way in this world. Whatever it takes, it's up to you. That's the belief system that we grew up with, every one of us, in some way, shape, or form. And so life is all about taking care of number one, for the most part. Making sure that I get preferential treatment, making sure I get what I want, making sure that I take care of me and my family, and that's all there is. And then Jesus comes along and says, that's not the way things are. He invites us to follow him, and he starts talking about things like, turn the other cheek. Forgive those who have done evil to you. Pray for your enemies. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Serve one another in love. And he starts saying, this is the way things really are. And for three years, these disciples followed Jesus. Notice Jesus didn't say to them, believe in me. He just said, follow me. Because he understood that if you follow long enough and you observe and you listen and you learn, belief happens. And so these men followed. And they watched Jesus who lived a life that was totally consistent because what he said he believed and what he thought he believed was what he truly believed. And on every level, there was congruence, there was consistency. And at every step of the way, at every part of life, he was always haunting them. This is the way things really are. And after three years, they began to believe. And they began to understand, forgiveness works. And it really is more blessed to give than receive. And generosity It's a tremendous blessing. And serving other people really does make me a better person. And they believed. See, he asked them to simply follow. And in following, they began to believe. In fact, so much so that towards the end of his ministry, there was a time when he was preaching a really, really hard sermon. Really, really hard sermon about commitment and dedication and follow through and all of this. And it says that in John chapter 6, it says after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. For a lot of people, they came and they'd been following for a long, long time. And then he started getting really, really serious about what this was going to look like and what this life was like and, and what it meant. And they began to listen to it and they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can handle this? Who can accept this? And it says that many from that time on no longer followed And Jesus turned to the 12, those that he had handpicked who had followed him the longest, and they said, do you want to leave too? And Peter says these words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you notice that? They started off following. And when it came a decision point, are you going to keep following? They said, where else? Where else would we go? Who else would we follow? (laughs) Because we believe that you have the words of eternal life. Not only that, we believe and know. We know that you are the Holy One of God. We We have understood now. We understand now. 
And that's simply the invitation that Jesus makes to every one of us. Will you follow me? And if you will follow, belief happens. You will find questions along the way. You will find doubts along the way. You will find struggles along the way. But the choice will always be, will you keep following? Will you follow? The disciples acted on that belief. And because they followed, their following became belief. And their belief became convictions. And their convictions led to a whole different way of living. From that time on, things were different. So much so that even after Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected and gone back into the heaven, their lives were changed because they had learned to follow. They were convinced, not just believing about Jesus, they believed in him. He came in his own words. He came to bring life. He came to make God known. And the way that he did it was that he offered his own life up for us. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And the question is not this morning, will you believe that? The question is, will you follow? Would you bow your heads with me? The good news of John 3.16 is whoever, whoever would believe, if anyone would follow, you can have that life. John said, if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but you would have this life, eternal life. And only Jesus, life, Jesus lived that life, totally consistent, totally congruent. What he said he believed, and what he thought he believed, and what he truly believed were consistent. And that's why he would go to the cross for us. And because he offered up his own life for us, we can enter into that life. Believing in what he's done. Recognizing he's offered a better alternative. And I can follow it. I can live life that way. That all starts with a decision. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're ready to make the decision to believe. But you are ready to say, I'm willing to start following. I want to find out more. I want to learn more. I would like you to make that decision this morning. You say, I'm not there yet. I'm not sure. My question is, will you just decide to follow? keep pursuing, keep following, and give faith the chance to grow. And maybe you're here this morning and you made that decision a long time ago, and that following has become full-on belief, but still there's aspects of your life that you're not really sure God can be trusted with these things. You're not sure His description about the way things are, really the way things are. And it might be a particular issue in your life that you're dealing with this week, this morning. I'd invite you to make a decision choose to follow and see what God will do I made that choice for the very first time some 40 something years ago and I will tell you honestly over the years more and more more and more 
more and more, I am to the point, like Peter said, where else would I go? Who else would I follow? Only you have those words of eternal life. Decide this morning to follow. Lord, thank you that you don't call us to a blind leap of faith with no knowledge, with no understanding, with no basis, but you give us pictures of what life looks like. And you invite us and welcome us into that life. My prayer this morning is for each one of us that we would press in, that we would grab hold of, that we would take into the core of our being these beliefs and convictions that change our lives and that we would learn to follow you and trust you and find the life you promised. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.